Brilliant. Let's do it. Wonderful. So, everybody, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I am here with Nicholas Moran, or is it Moran? Moran. Moran, okay. Fantastic. Well, yeah, man. I always do this. I forget to ask how to um, pronounce people's names before we start, because it's normally just like email exchanges, unless I know them personally. And then I get in, I'm like, hang on, crap, I have to introduce them. Was, how, do, how do I say their name? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you said it you said it perfectly it's it's a pretty easy name it's not a, it's not a hard name so that's true i've had way worse that i've absolutely butchered so that's a good start at least anyway <laughs> so um as i mentioned before we started yeah it's the first time i've been podcasting in a month so yeah maybe i'm a little rusty that's <laughs> not that i was like ever professional <laughs> but anyway, i think we're all just trying to figure it out as we go right probably something like that but you are at the Bitcoin conference right now, actually. So what's been going on there? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, this is the biggest Bitcoin conference ever in history. Um, we are on a panel. My my uh, the per, the my friend who does the show with me, we are on the Mematic Warfare panel. Um, it was supposed to be on Thursday. They moved it to Friday. Um, there's also a bunch of other speakers. The president of El Salvador. Michael Saylor, of course, you know, a bunch of other Bitcoiners. It's, it's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be very big. And there's a bunch of other, you know, satellite events by Bitcoiners that, you know, it, this is like the one time of year that everyone has an excuse to meet up, you know, because you interact with a lot of these people over Twitter and over social media. But, you know, it's all a digital relationship. And when you see them, it's, it's very awesome because it's like a long lost friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, right. It's... It's cool having that kind of family. It's like a once a year kind of thing that you really all see each other. Because I, I have totally the same thing with, um, with the like. There's a group of people I went on holiday with like my entire life, um, and it was just a once a year family of like a hundred people. <laughs> so it's yeah, probably something similar to that. But please talk to me about mimetic warfare because that is like. I don't know if you're familiar with my work at all. I don't assume that people are, um, or if you looked before we started. So I'm writing a book right now about the GameStop saga. So it's had um, some interesting developments in the past week or so uh, with several board members buying a whole bunch more shares and Ryan Cohen announcing a stock split slash dividend thing, which I'm still trying to get my head around exactly what it means, but it's all very exciting in that space. So my, my, my book... Um, has an entire chapter about memes and the importance of memes. So like, what are you guys going to be talking about, about memetic warfare? This won't be out till next week, so we're not spoiling it for anyone. Um, so yeah, what do you, what do you plan to talk about? Yeah. Um, people don't realize how important memes are. Um, and we're kind of living in this world right now where we're in the crossroads where the gatekeepers, the credentialed journalists and all of that, they used to have a monopoly on information because, you know, the only avenues of getting information out was through newspapers, you know, the legacy media channels. And now the Internet has completely disintermediated them. So we're living through a narrative trench warfare, really. Um, you kind of see it every day online where you have the official narrative and then you have, you know, the truth, really, because that's the way that I see it. And it's a clash, you know, and then social media tries to censor the truth and they want the official narrative. And it's just want, not to get into any of the politics or anything, but, but you've experienced it. If, 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 you're, if you have one eye open, you're seeing, you're witnessing this, right? And memes play a major role because, look, if a tweet is a bullet in this war, 
um, a, a meme is an artillery shell because it's a very effective way to get information across very quickly. And memes don't make sense unless they're true, right? The truth is the common uh, denominator, right? So for for a true for a meme to have for a meme to be highly effective, it needs to be true because if it's not true, not that many people are going to understand it, right? Um, it's also comedic, right? It also makes people laugh, and that's a very great way and effective way of of of, of connecting with people, right? So the way that I see it, man, is that memes are are a huge you know a huge tool to get the truth out there to you know fight this information war that we're living through and you see and you witness this on on twitter you see you know uh posts by the european central bank or the federal reserve and if you go in the comment section it's brutal you know it's just they get ratioed almost every time right so that's the kind of world that we're living through right now. It's absolutely insane to live through. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of people that we're on the panel with is the, the Bitcoiners that were responsible for the laser rate till 100K, right? So they came up with the laser eyes that presidents, uh, senators, congressmen, congresswomen all made this their, their profile picture. And I think that's extremely powerful, right? It really, it really highlights the power of the internet. And I think that just like Bitcoin, how Bitcoin is internet native, so are memes. So it's it's a new tool um, that's very new um, that I don't think we fully understand what the capabilities are. But a lot of people don't take it seriously because it's it's a meme, right? But it's very effective. You can't deny that, right? So very interesting stuff. Hmm. I mean, the memes were were like such a ridiculous part of of the GameStop saga um, up yes. to now, and I'm sure they will continue to be. It was because, and I think quite a lot of people maybe missed this bit, and is that all of these people who are now the hundreds of thousands, if not well over a million people, who are like educating themselves about the financial system and starting to understand. Like just I screwed up. It is really like I mean, me included. I'm not pretending that I knew any anywhere near the amount of stuff that that has been uncovered and I've learned over the past year and a half since since things really kicked off there. But everyone was almost exclusively drawn in to this story by memes. Like they were the gateway into like deeper and further understanding of like the level of corruption and fraud that exists in in wall street and the global financial system but like the entry point was the memes and i still find that fucking amazing yeah no absolutely and what a lot of people don't understand is that and we we covered this a lot on our show is that the gamestop bros you know i'm sure you're one of them is you know, we're brothers we're brothers in arms we're fighting the same beasts right it's this we're fighting the same battle you guys might be in another battlefield but we're on the same side right um but yeah i think memes are such an important part of it of internet culture and what we're really taking on is is the legacy system right um and you know if if you've reached a, 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 this point, right, you, you, you know, you definitely, you know, heard a little bit about 2008, what happened there, how effed we all got, right? Especially if you're in the millennial and Zoomer generation, right? Uh, it's, you know, the whole thing is just, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Like, I don't know how else to put it, right? So, and what are they going to do? Are they going to have, are they going to hire, is the Federal Reserve going to hire a meme division to try to keep up with us? No, they're not, you know? So, because that would validate what we're doing. And, 
there's a really famous Financial Times article. It's not really famous, but for me, it was it was it 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 showed me that we were winning. And the name of the article is called "Fiat Money Is Not a Meme," right? Um, and the only reason they would make that type of article is because of how effective these things are, right? Um, and they just they don't know how to deal with us. They don't know, right? Look, how do you beat a bunch of people that have absolutely nothing to lose? And that's what happened with the GameStop movement, right? That's what hap- That's what's happening with Bitcoin, right? How do you beat us? We're willing to ride this to zero because of principles, right? How do you beat us? You don't, right? So the clash is epic, you know, and, and memes play a, a central role, in my opinion. Mm. With the, yeah, obviously, so memes are also a, like a really interesting way that the communities can kind of like speak their own language in a way. Um, obviously, like meme formats kind of straddle all communities in, in some ways, but then there's obviously like very specific and sort of more niche ones. But one of the things as well is that like, they can cause a lot of infighting in a way. And and I've witnessed this, especially like I've witnessed this in, in like the GameStop community itself. I've witnessed it with how they've treated people who are investors in, in like other companies like AMC or so for whatever you think about, about those. I mean, I, I watch a lot of like infighting. Do you think that's like a serious weakness of, of, of any of these online communities? Or do you think it's kind of just part and parcel and maybe even like a strength in the, you know, everyone's trying to throw shit at each other and refine their ideas. I think it's a strength. Um, the 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 term that I use for Bitcoin is the decentralized immune system, and I'm sure GameStop because it's all internet based is very similar. And it it it's it's a check on power on people because it doesn't matter how long you've been in the community or what you've contributed to the community, as long as as soon as you start scamming people or you start acting sketchy, the immune system reacts savagely, right? And it goes after you. I think that if you stay true, authentic, sincere, and you're trying to add value to the community, you're going to get along with everybody. But as soon as you start trying to monetize, you start trying to scam, you start trying to you know, take advantage of the influence that you've built up, you know, the community reacts. And I I think that's a really good thing, right? It, it, and that's very different to the world that we came, the, that we came from because the the world that we came from, it has senior age and it's like, you've been at the company for 20 years, so you can get away with shit, you know, that no one else is, is, is able to get away with. So I think it's good. And I think that the people that aren't willing to adapt and you see that there's, there's so much pushback to they don't understand this is inevitable. The internet always wins. It's, it's undefeated, right? Um, the, the internet destroyed the telecommunications industry and they were forced to become internet companies mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Um, Barnes and Noble, it's like it goes on and on. Now the internet is going after finance and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. This is an industry that hasn't changed for you know over 100 years and now they're going against the internet. And you know, it's funny because they could they could get a couple of us, but they can't get all of us. And, you know, we're synonymous, right? We have funky usernames. You don't know who we are. You could ban us. We'll come back with another username. So good luck. You know, they, they don't they haven't come to terms with that yet, but they slowly are. And uh, I think Bitcoin is playing a major role in that. And I think the GameStop actually was a power check. But what happened with GameStop was tragic because 
it's not and over I think yet. This Don't, made a lot of it's them not over yet. This is the best bit. It's 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 not over yet. It's not over yet. But but they were fighting the system within the system, mm-hmm. and Bitcoin is like I'm outside of the system, and I'm building a better system. And you're gonna have to come play by my rules. Where the GameStop is like, you guys can't win by that much, or we'll stop the trading. And Bitcoin, there's no such thing as stopping the trading. So good luck, right? So you know, game on with these people. Uh, they have no idea what's coming. Hmm. I guess I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, interestingly, actually, uh, this isn't this isn't. I don't think this is known that much outside of like the GameStop community, but like. What it seems that the company is doing at the minute is building a platform, like A, they're building an NFT marketplace, but it, it seems like they're building some sort of way for their entire like stock of the company to become tokenized, um, either as like a, each share is an NFT or the whole company is an NFT and then fractionalized um, and handed out, which is amazing and inspiring as a potential way that like this technology that like yeah was comes from bitcoin like the blockchain and and everything that's that's evolved out of that could then be used as the perfect ledger to prevent all of this stock market fuckery and it's it's like how long actually how long have you been um sort of investing or in or researching bitcoin like how long have you been in the community yeah, so I'm class of 2016. Um, so I started buying Bitcoin in 2016. I, I got into Bitcoin through mining Bitcoin. Um, and I really started getting into the community around 2017. Um, that's really when I started. You know, I created a Twitter account. Really didn't take it seriously. 2018, 2019, you know, I, I got a little bit more passionate about it. Um, and I got a little bit, you know, a, a more addicted to social media. Um, it's been quite a ride. Uh, Bitcoin makes you pay a price of tuition, um, which is essentially, there's a lot of, um, some people call it altcoins, Bitcoiners call it shitcoins. Um, a lot of the tokens, all of that stuff, uh, they're a distraction. They're meant to take away their Bitcoin, take away your Bitcoin. Um, none of them none of them are able to achieve the goal that Bitcoiners are, are trying to strive for, which is the inevitable separation of money and state, right? Just how the church and the state separated, you know, around the time of the French revolution. Um, right now, what we're, li- what we're witnessing, what we're living through, and a lot of the chaos comes from this is uh, the separation of money and state. Um, only Bitcoin could achieve that. Um, all the NFTs and shit coins and all of that, they don't have decentralization right so what you're getting with a lot of that stuff is all the worst parts of the fiat world of the finance world you're getting that with shit coins times 100 um so they're a distraction um with bitcoin it's it's uh the best money that was ever invented um it's money that can't be manipulated by human beings the monetary policy is set in stone um, unlike most of NF, like not most, all of the NFTs, all of the shit coins, um, they were designed, they, they sacrificed decentralization for more functionality. So, um, for example, Ethereum, you could create smart contracts. Uh, you know, Solana has faster transactions. But the, the, the way that they're able to achieve that is by centralizing the, the nodes or the, the actual computers that run the software. Um, with Bitcoin, 
there was it was a there was a very big battle in Bitcoin. It was it, I think it was 2017, 2018. It was something called the Fork Wars, mm-hmm. and essentially uh, the most powerful companies in Bitcoin at the time, mining companies and and whatnot, they wanted to change Bitcoin's code in order to facilitate bigger blocks, right? Bigger blocks means that it's more resource intensive for people to run the Bitcoin software. So what happened was something that really hasn't happened before. The people, the actual individuals that were running nodes, Bitcoin nodes, voted not to download the new software, right? So it was essentially, and it was called a user-activated software. And they said, no, I, I don't want to participate in your new software. I don't want to you know, change Bitcoin's code. I want it to stay exactly the same. And it was actually the companies that had to bow down to Bitcoin. They, they, they had to go back to the old software or else they would go broke. You know, like it was like that, right? So that's what Bitcoin Cash is. That's what Bitcoin SV is. And they, they're not even in the top 10 anymore, right? And that's what makes Bitcoin so powerful, so unique. If the biggest companies in Ethereum or the Ethereum Foundation wanted to change the code of Ethereum, not only have they done it in the past, they could do it right now. All it takes is Vitalik snap of a finger and you could change the inflation rate of Ethereum. You could change all these things of Ethereum. Now, when Ethereum is not a threat to nation states like it is right now, it's not a big deal. But as the Bitcoin and crypto, I hate using that word, market cap goes up in value and it starts taking away power away from governments because people are choosing to use uh, cryptos rather than fiat monies or government monies, that's when the government is going to try to influence the network. With Ethereum, because it's so resource intensive and that causes the centralization of the nodes, it's estimated that around 70% of Ethereum nodes are run on servers, right? Wow. That's an easy target for governments. What is it? Sorry, now, what is the figure imagine, for Bitcoin? Do you know? Just comparatively. None. It's it's the, Zero, the, the majority like of nodes, wow. the vast, vast majority are nodes are run by individuals, right? Little tiny, you know, dedicated Raspberry Pi fours in their homes, you know, and, and that is your own that's essentially your own bank. You are your own bank, right? And it's run over tours. So no one knows where you are, right? It's extremely powerful. Um, so it's like you have your own money network and you're connected to, you know, 10,000, 100,000 other, you know, Bitcoin nodes all over the world. None of you guys know where you are and you can completely circumvent the middleman. Like no government needs to participate, no nothing. You could just transact directly with another human being halfway across the world. And that's extremely powerful. That in itself is going to change everything. People don't understand that yet. But if you don't build it, build it on a decentralized layer, it's doomed from the get-go because it's just going it's going to morph into the system that we have today. Right. So a lot of the a lot of the altcoins, shitcoins, NFTs, they're they're a very, very nasty distraction. And it's really distracting a lot of people because they're trying to pursue wealth. Right. They're like, oh, if I buy this NFT, if I buy this shitcoin, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna, you know, be the next crypto millionaire and whatever. It's like the probability of you doing that is very low. The probability of you doing that with Bitcoin is actually a lot higher than you think. It's just gonna take a lot more time. Right. So that's kind of how that's kind of my stance on all that. Um, but yeah, man, this is we have an opportunity to 
really fix money. And I think that by fixing the money, we can fix the world. And I think that it's a tragedy that a lot of people get distracted by noise because that's really what it is. Okay. So the, the, yeah, a reasonable amount of the stuff you said there, um, I'm yeah familiar with. Uh, just yeah, I've been lucky enough to have quite a few different Bitcoiners on the show, uh, but it never stops being brilliant to hear it. You know, the the this like when when someone came to me like we want to change Bitcoin, I just get that going back to memes in my head. The um, old cap from from Endgames like no. I don't think I will. Like that's just what comes in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so real. So, like, two questions um, for you. Like, do you do you think then that the, the thing that is key, like the absolute center of it, is the decentralization? Like, is that the thing that is going to change the financial system? Is the decentralized aspect of it? And is there any like altcoins that that come? that have um, proof of work and like a more decentralized system, or is it basically Bitcoin and then the rest? Yeah, so that's a very good question. So the problem with altcoins, right, is that it's very enticing to their founders to enrich themselves, right? So for example, when Bitcoin was recreated, it had a virgin birth. What does that mean? That means that when it was created, Satoshi Nakamoto, didn't know that Bitcoin was going to have value. Every single altcoin that was created after the fact, the founder knew it was going to have value. Therefore, the founder sticks around. Satoshi disappeared. And that was one of the best things he's ever done. It is actually a bad thing if we knew what Satoshi is, who Satoshi is. In fact, it doesn't matter who he is. What matters is kind of the system that he set in place. The analogy that I always make is, what was one of the most important things that you know one of the founding fathers of the United States of America did, George Washington? He stepped down from power after two terms, and that set the precedent for every president after that. He was so popular that he could have kept being president, but he stepped down, right? So it's a very similar concept. If you look at Ethereum, if you look at XRP, if you look at Binance, if you look at all these coins, they have a leader, they have a foundation, they have a group of people that run it. With Bitcoin, there is no person that runs it, right? And that's on purpose, right? So again, I'm a libertarian at heart. So if you want to buy a shitcoin, go for it. But just understand that you're gambling. And what you're really doing is that you're enriching a group of people. When you buy Bitcoin and you take it into self-custody, what you're doing is you're participating in the revolution, whether you're realizing it or not. You're, you're, you're taking your work, your energy, your time, and you're taking it out of the financial system, and you're taking it into your custody. And that is extremely powerful. With any of these shitcoins, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're enriching the founders, and you're not really buying something that's anti-fragile. You're not buying something that's censorship resistant. It might seem like that on the surface, and it might seem like that for now. But as I suspect things are going to continue to heat up, um, let me give you a couple of examples of what has happened in the last week or two weeks. Um, we had a we had a, a a congresswoman from California that essentially let me read it to you and you, you got you could surmise how despicable this is, right? Um, so the, the represent uh, Representative Norma T- Torres tweeted this out this morning. She said, "Today I introduced the Accountability for Cryptocurrency in El Salvador Act." El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin is not a thoughtful embrace of innovation, 
but a careless gamble that is destabilizing the country. El Salvador is an independent democracy and we respect its right to self-government, but the United States must have a plan to protect our financial system from the rest, the, the risks of, of this decision. Just to kind of give you a, a reference point, El Salvador's GDP is $26 billion. The United States GDP is $23 trillion. So how could it be that this tiny little country, one of the poorest countries on the face of the wor world, is a threat to the U.S. financial system? It's not a threat to the U.S. financial system. It's a threat to the politicians that are, are used to controlling their citizens through monetary policy. That is what she's referencing. So things are heating up. Politicians are scared shitless, but they're only scared of Bitcoin because they know they can't capture it. With Ethereum, one of the one of the, one of the foundation, one of the board members of the Ethereum Foundation is actually sitting on the World Economic Forum. Oh fuck off! Right? Seriously, Ethereum is in the good graces who, of God. Who is yeah, it? Can I check swear to God, on? you could look it up. Area, yeah, Area Miyaguchi, the woman, right? She's literally she is a she is what she's the blockchain initiative of the World Economic Forum. If you look at Bitcoin, the World Economic Forum attacks Bitcoin. The the World Economic Forum advocates for Ethereum. You could control Ethereum. You could censor transactions on Ethereum. In fact, one of the founders of Ethereum went and pitched the World Economic Forum on launching a central bank digital currency on Ethereum. And in the pitch deck of, of that thing, it said, we, you could censor transactions the way that you want to censor them. With Bitcoin, you can't do that, which is why they're attacking Bitcoin for its client, for its energy usage and all of this bullshit that we all know it's bullshit. The reason they're doing it is because they can't control it. So again, there's two things. There you go. Yeah, see, there's two things just, that I are like happening. To pull these right things up, just you know. Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Again, World so Economic two, Forum. <laughs> and then just also, I there pulled this up as well. And this is the, the year on your year on year change for El Salvador. So I believe this is quarterly. Um, so since since the start of last year, El Salvador seems to be doing pretty all right. I, I don't know exactly what's going on since July 2021. I have to check out the last two quarters, but like it seems like, you know, seems like they weren't getting that screwed over. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's destabilizing them. Sounds like this senator no, from California it's, it's... is talking shit, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're totally... They're totally talking shit. It, it, what you're seeing is fear, um, and it, it's you know it's the first time in human history that we have a non-democratic money, um, and that's a very good thing because the issue with democratic money is that the mob controls it, right? So, for example, in Canada, you had you know put the politics aside; the politics are irrelevant. You had um, you know the left-wing party, the Liberal Party, in power. And they persecuted right-wing individuals because they wanted freedom, right? Again, the po politics are irrelevant. If the right-wing party is in power and they persecute the left, it's the same bullshit. The point is that democratic money allows that type of censorship, right? The beauty of Bitcoin, and that this is why it's called the money of enemies, is that it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you have. And it doesn't matter if you're the king of Australia, of the United States, you know, the president of Uganda, it doesn't matter who you are. You cannot change Bitcoin. And that is by design. The problem with Ethereum and all the altcoins is that you could change them. You can have enough influence or you could compromise or corrupt certain human beings and you could change them to your benefit. 
So we need to take human beings out of the monetary policy. Bitcoin's monetary policy does not change. There's a halving roughly every four years. That is by design. That is the way it's supposed to be, right? And all these altcoins, they're malleable. You could change them. You could change the thing. Ethereum wants to go from proof of work to proof of stake. They want to become eventually deflationary. They want to move from an inflationary currency to a deflationary currency. If you could change it, you can corrupt it. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, the genius of it is he's figured out human beings are the problem. You can't trust a human being, right, to not corrupt the money. And do you blame them, right? Think about it. You're a central banker and, you know, your country's going through a recession or something, right? And you're like, let's just print a little bit more money. Why just not? A little bit. Right. And they're going to do it. They're going to do it over and over and over again. And this is where the, this is the position that we find ourselves now. And then a lot of people think it's like, oh, this time is different. No, this has happened throughout human history hundreds of times during the Roman, the Roman, uh, Roman Republic. And then when it became the Roman empire, uh, their, their currency was called the denarii. And in the beginning, it started with like 87% silver towards the end of the Roman empire at 0.085% silver. What did they do? They debase the fucking currency. I don't know if I can curse. I'm sorry. Yeah, they debase <laughs> the currency. They debase the currency. They did exactly the same thing as the United States today. With Bitcoin, we have a chance to break the cycle because we have figured out how to take the monetary policy out of the hands of humans through decentralization. And all the other altcoins, they don't understand that. They don't get that, right? They still think they could centrally plan a currency better. And I think that is the that is the catastrophic mistake that will blow them up, right? But just by me saying that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that in the short term their volatility can outperform Bitcoin. It doesn't mean that. Of course it can. But over the long over the long run, nothing has outperformed Bitcoin. So it kind of depends on your time preference. If you have a long term time preference. And you, you know, you work your fiat, we call it fiat mining, and you work your job and you put as much of your income into Bitcoin, over time it will reward you. With the shit coins, what you're gonna do is you're gambling. You're betting that one or two or three is gonna do super well because the 10 that you bought, maybe nine do terrible. That one might do okay or might do really well. You're you're essentially gambling and you're hoping. That some of these pop off. That's your. That's what you're going for with shit coins. With Bitcoin, it's an accumulation game. It's gonna work out. It's just a matter of could you? Do you have the? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the discipline? Do you have the understanding? And then you kind of reach a point of nirvana, right? Or or like kind of mental peace where you realize. I'm not, why would I sell back in the first place if I'm holding back? I'm holding the best money that has ever existed in the history of mankind. Why would I sell that for dollars if this accumulates? So you start denominating your wealth in Bitcoin. And that's really when you reach Zen because that's when you kind of have this fuck you attitude. That's where, like, you know, don't F with me. You, you're going to pick and choose what location, what jurisdiction treats you best, and you're going to go there. And because your wealth is in Bitcoin, you could take all of it with you. No one could censor you. No one could stop you. No one could F with you. 
that is the power. It's, it's a tremendous power that people haven't realized that never in human history have you been able to memorize a 12-word seed phrase and store billions, if not trillions of dollars in your mind, right? You know how they ask you at the airport, hey, do you have over $10,000 in currency? Well, it was very easy for them to do that because they could search your bag or they could look if you have a piece of gold or, you know, but how are they going to take 12 words out of your mind? It changes everything, right? It literally changes everything. People don't understand how powerful this technology is. And it's just beginning. This is, this, it's, we're not even like a quarter through the first quarter of this. Like this is just beginning. It's going to change everything. People are still asleep to this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a question. Do you want to be part of this revolution or not? You know, that's the question that you have to ask for yourself because it will change your life. You know, I've seen it happen to, I've been doing this for a while for thousands of people that it's radically changed their life. It's given them, you know, peace of mind, more opportunity, financial uh, hope for the future. Because when you're saving in fiat, right? Even if you're saving in a shit coin, that thing is devaluing over time. So it's like, oh, I have a hundred dollars. But the next year you have $95 and the next year you have $90 of purchasing power. Bitcoin is the opposite of that, where the longer you wait, the more your Bitcoin will increase in purchasing power. So it, it changes your behavior internally. It rewards you to save and it punishes you to spend. Where in, in fiat, it's the opposite. You're incentivized to spend and you're punished to save. So that changes your whole outlook in your mind. And we're living in a world that the majority of the population is living in a fiat mindset. And a fiat mindset is, is, is a mindset of nihilism. It's a mindset of desperation. It's a mindset of poverty. The, the Bitcoin mindset is a mindset of hope. It's a mindset of optimism. It's a mindset of opportunity. It's a mindset of prosperity, right? So as the time progresses, more and more of the world is going to get on that mindset, the Bitcoin mindset. And I think that is going to change the world. In the process, it's going to world, make the world a much more peaceful place because the way that governments pay for war is through printing money. You take away their ability by, uh, of, of doing that by buying Bitcoin, right? And all the other shit coins, you're being distracted from what is actually happening because you're trying to get fiat rich rather than getting accumulating as much Bitcoin as you can and getting Bitcoin rich. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird how your mind changes like that. And this happened to me the other day, actually. So, um, like a, a family friend was, was just around and having, having coffee and, and stuff. And they were, they were talking about, um, they're retiring and they were going to put some of their money in this ISA that they found. And they were like, yeah, it's like 6% a year. And I was just like, well, it, inflation seven, like, what's the point? Like that's, and I, and I felt really bad because, you know, they'd spent a long time like researching this and, and, and thinking about where they wanted to put their money and like in the way that like someone would have done their due diligence on this stuff for, for, for decades, right? They went, okay, here's a good rate of return, et cetera, et cetera. But the, I, had, I had Christopher Leonard on the show and um, was one of the last ones I did before I took my, my break there. Um, he wrote a book called The Lords of Easy Money about the Federal Reserve. And he was just like, yeah, they've just, they've printed the dollar almost out of existence. 
And the UK have done the fucking same shit with the pound. Like we've been doing it as well since 2010, um, and the current, like after in the in the wake of 2008. And I just look at it and go, like, do all these people realize that their assets are, are slowly becoming worthless? As, aside from like land, um, but then house prices are massively inflated at the minute, and you can't fucking buy one because, well, especially in America, because fucking BlackRock come in and like bid you by twenty five percent. Like, at what point do you see? Because everyone. This, I don't know. There's this weird thing where people think, oh, well, you know, last year was the big crypto blow up and, you know, that's all that's going to happen or that was the big one. And it's just like, are you insane? We're still, we're still like, I'd say, I think it's like one to three percent um, use, uh, like out of the general populace. And it's like, that is fucking nothing. Like, where do you see the crossover coming when, when enough people start to go, hang on a second, our money is way safer in this thing than it is in like the traditional financial world? Like, do you see like another crash triggering that kind of thinking or, or just sort of slowly through more people seeing it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So Alex Gladstein um, wrote this very great book. It's called Financial Privilege, and he's been touching upon this subject a lot. And it's something that I've experienced myself. Um, when I tell people about Bitcoin and they live in a country that has experienced inflation, whether it's Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, you know, an African country, a uh, Latin American country, they understand Bitcoin very quickly. They're like, a money that the government can't control and can't touch or confiscate? Where do I sign up? When I speak to someone in the West about Bitcoin, one of the first reactions is like, why does this need to exist? I have Cash App, I have Venmo, I have all these things. Um, so it gives the false illusion of the fact that it's not necessary because you've been privileged and you've been privileged to be born in a country that has a relatively stable currency. I think that that's going to change. I think it is changing. I think, you know, the 7.9% the inflation in the U.S. is just the start. I think it's going to get worse because they can't stop. Do you think what that's Max the real Kaiser figure? always says? You can't Do you stop. actually think that's the real figure, man? Because like oh. I, I look at shit and I'm like, so how, I, how is petrol up 30% and inflation's only seven? It's like, come on. Yeah. So, so you know, I go by the official rate of inflation, not to like sound like an Alex Jones conspiracy theorist, yeah, well, but I mean, we all know it's really about 20 to 30%. That's the real rate of inflation. Why do I say that? Because what is the thing that people most spend their money on? Energy and food. And energy and food have really gone up like 20, 30%. And then people trying to save their wealth through inflation, they start buying assets. If you look at asset prices as in terms of real estate, it's gone up 20 to 30%. So what is the real rate of inflation? I would say 15 to 20% minimum. That's what I actually think it is. But the thing is they manipulate the CPI, the consumer price index so much to their advantage that they're trying to paint a false narrative of what it really is. Now, do you blame, like a lot of people put uh, blame on the bankers and the federal bank, the, you know, the federal reserve and these central bankers are just evil, twirling a mustache, like, ha ha, I'm going to take over the world. No, they're just pursuing their own incentives. Simple as that, right? The, the incentives of the fiat system are broken. They benefit a few at the expense of everybody else. Bitcoin benefits everybody. Everybody, doesn't matter if you're the billionaire. You, if you're a billionaire, you have to get in line and buy Bitcoin like everybody else. And as Bitcoin goes up in value, if you're holding one Bitcoin, if you're holding 100,000 Bitcoin like Michael Saylor, 
you're going to benefit from it equally. He just happens to have more Bitcoin, right? That's how it is, right? So it's not that it's going to fix wealth inequality or all these things that, you know, a lot of the, you know, the traditional left-wing politicians are huge proponents of. However, it is going to give the little guy, right? The, the, the guy that's not banked, the guy that can't afford, you know, to have a bank account or all this thing, it is going to give him a chance to save for a better future. Or in the past, he had absolutely no chance whatsoever because those are the people, usually the lower middle class and the lower, the lower class of the economic spectrum, those are the people that save in cash the most. So if you look at what the fiat system does, it's really effed up, right? It's a redistribution of wealth from the lower middle class to the top 1% and the government. That's literally what it is. It's a giant racket, right? Bitcoin, perhaps not in the short term because of the volatility, but definitely in the long term, it gives you a shot. It gives you a fighting chance. If you're a hard worker, if you save, right? You will have a better future if you save in Bitcoin. In fiat or in anything else, you don't have a chance. And then let's talk a little bit about the stock market, right? The S&P, the NASDAQ, right? You buy an index fund. What are you going to get? Six, six to 8%, right? On, right? Year after year, you, you have $100. You have $100, right? Put that $100 in. You get $106 the next year. But what about inflation? <laughs> so really... It's a negative 1% purchasing power, right? Especially this year. Okay, let's say on a year that inflation is only 2%, right? That's a 4% increase. That isn't, you're never going to get anywhere. That's a, that's a freaking rat race for you, right? So Bitcoin gives you the chance to get out of that, right? And over time, like people don't understand how, how much upside is left in this thing. They see, and you know, I think that's a, that's the tragedy of it. They see it's like, oh, I'm too late to Bitcoin. This thing's fifty dollars, fifty thousand, roughly fifty thousand dollars. That's a misnomer. That 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 you're you're interpreting that wrong, right? Because you're using you know the the Bitcoin unit of account. You could use Satoshi's, right? You know, which I think is a, is a lot more easy on the mind because you're buying hundreds of thousands of Satoshi's rather than point zero 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 one Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this thing, in my opinion, and this was how Finney, you know, may rest in peace that actually said this, you know, I think the end game for Bitcoin, not the end game, but, you know, I think this thing's going to go to $10 million, five, $10 million easily. Right. So if you could buy, you know, if you could buy a fraction of that, like, and have a lot of money over time. That's how it works. That's how that's how it's supposed to work. You work, you know, for a, a certain amount of time. You save, and and you have money to buy things. But how the system is is kind of how the system works today is you could work for twenty years. You could retire on a fixed income. It doesn't matter. You're going to get absolutely train wrecked. And the only people that really benefit from this are the people that are closest to the money spigot. Right? How is it? How is it that Nancy Pelosi, okay, the the, the Speaker of the House, to one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars salary, mm-hmm. has a two hundred million dollar net worth? Why? It's just, Why is just, it that all these politicians totally have- not crime? There's no crime involved here whatsoever. Uh, it's totally legitimate, and I guarantee she had no insider tips from being in Congress at all, or or from the lobbyists. And I, it's, it's crazy. Totally it's crazy. 
It's 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 she's, absolute she's insanity. She's the speaker so, of the party that's meant to represent the working class. Like what? But that's what I'm trying. But, but that's what I'm trying to tell you that is that the the base layer of the world is broken and corrupt. That base layer is going to affect every facet of society. Everything. Everything. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about democratic money. You have democratic money. This is a result of democratic money. If you buy, if you're holding U.S. dollars, you are essentially, you're signing up for Biden. You're signing up for Trump. You're signing up for Pelosi. And what they do affects you. When you sign up, when you opt out and you buy Bitcoin, the having is the only thing that really affects you. The short-term price could be affected by governments trying to kill it, governments trying to ban it, governments whatever. No, does it work? It just makes it stronger. So yes, the short-term volatility might be up and down, but what a lot of people don't understand is that Bitcoin is literally designed. It's designed to go up in value forever. The longer you wait, the more you'll be rewarded. That is literally the name of the game. Once people figure that out, changes everything. But I think that people are or they should be cautiously, you know, like skeptical because I think they're so used to being fucked over that finally something gets right. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, this is a little weird. So that's what people need to understand is that this thing is designed to go up forever. This thing is, is it's a better store of value than anything that exists. Look, you could always build another house. You could always more find more gold in the ground. There's only 21 billion Bitcoin and there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And it's estimated three to 4 million are lost. So it's actually less than that, right? So if you buy one Bitcoin, right? You are in an elite group of people. You're an elite group of 17 or 18 million people that could buy one Bitcoin. There's 8 billion people on the planet. There's not enough Bitcoin to go. There's not even one. There's not even enough Bitcoin for everyone to get enough to get one. Mm. There's 47 million millionaires all around the world. 47 million. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. That means that if every millionaire just wanted to buy one, they physically cannot. That is what's happening. People have not wised up. Mm. Michael Saylor public companies, countries are starting to catch on to this thing. In four or five years, I'm telling you that it's not that companies will want to buy it. It's that they won't have a choice but to buy it or to get left behind by their competitors. Mm. It's that crazy. And people have not woken up to this yet. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's it's this is, this is a crazy time. Yeah. So I've I've seen some of the stuff. The the one criticism that I have seen that that seems like fairly I don't know. The gifts has some legs, I think, at least is is the the sort of the use the use in day to day life um, with the with the gas fees being a little bit high and the transaction speed not being yeah practically instantaneous. But then, obviously, the Lightning Network has come along as a potential solution. Like, what do you think of it? Is it is it the thing that makes it possible for everyone to use it in day to day life? Is that or or is there something? yeah more to be done with that space yeah so it's a very good question so the the misnomer that a, a lot of people like they 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 you know they get lost in the weeds is like oh look you have visa or you have dollars or you have all these things they don't get settled immediately 
right? Um, it actually takes quite a bit of time to get settled, right? For Z Visa, I think it's like seven, six or seven days. For the U.S. banking system, it's every it's at night every weekday. Um, during the weekends, they don't do any settlement, right? So just because you could transact and you get a transaction doesn't mean it's final, right? They could still reverse it. It's not settled yet. So with Bitcoin, the settlement is every 10 minutes, right? So the settlement, I mean, it's final, like so it's stuck in stone. It's, it's game over, right? Um, and then kind of make the comparison, credit cards, checks, all of those things, those are second layer technologies, right? The first layer is really cash. The first layer is the, the you know, the transaction of cash, but then they realize, like, if I wanted to buy a $50,000, am I going to bring $50,000 of cash? No, you're going to use a card. You're going to use a check, right? So checks, cash, all of that thing, those are all second layer technologies. And that actually took decades to develop. I remember when I don't, I wasn't around for this, but what I've read is when credit cards were first the thing, no one wanted credits. Like, what do you mean a piece of plastic? What do you say? Take this back, right? So it, people have this misinterpretation of like, oh, wow. Um, Bitcoin's too slow, Bitcoin's too that. That's the base layer. And it needs to be that way in order to um, keep decentralization, right? So if you want to buy coffee with your Bitcoin, uh, Lightning, the Liquid Network, uh, all the other you know um, stable coins that are going to be built on top of Bitcoin, uh, either through Liquid and all the other side chains are much better solutions. And they have much bigger trans, uh, trans, uh, transaction per second output than any of the other shitcoins. It doesn't even come close. I always say that Lightning Network is the shitcoin killer because it defeats all the use cases of the shitcoin. Mm. And it does it much better than they do. And it doesn't, it doesn't sacrifice the centralization. So I think that in terms of day-to-day -day transaction scaling, it needs to be built on a second layer, perhaps even a third layer. The base layer is for settlement. And this is something that Satoshi Nakamoto even talked about back in the day in the BitcoinTalk.org forums, where he essentially said, like, this is, or maybe it was how, I'm pretty sure Satoshi basically said, like, this is going to be used to settle banking transactions. Like, huge banks are going to settle transactions on the Bitcoin base layer. Mm -hmm. It is, as it continues to grow, uh, grow up in value, it's not meant for everyday transactions. That is something that the Lightning Network does extremely well. Um, for the first couple, and it's growing tremendously, right? It's not a theoretical thing. It grow, it's, it's growing exponentially. Now, I think that it needs a lot of development. It needs a lot more time. Um, I think what Jack Maulers is doing is incredible. Um, he's using Bitcoin the network, not Bitcoin the commodity. So essentially, he's using the, the most secure settlement layer monetary network in the world, the best one to essentially settle transactions, but you are not even interacting with Bitcoin. It's all being done in the background. So if you want to send a hundred dollars, a hundred US dollars from the United States of America to El Salvador, right? El Salvador, a huge percentage of their GDP comes from remittances alone, right? You could use Bitcoin, the network through lightning to settle a transaction instantaneously, and you're not even touching Bitcoin. In fact, I didn't tell you that you were using Bitcoin. You would have no idea. You wouldn't know. You'd be like, oh, this is a cool app. It lets me send money. Now, if you compare that with the alternatives, right? The alternatives are 
companies that use the legacy uh, financial system, like Western Union, like all those services, not only do they suffer from censorship, right? Like Western Union was the first to pull out of, of Afghanistan. Western Union was the first to pull out of the Ukraine, right? But they're also extremely expensive. You're also putting yourself in physical danger because you have to go to physical locations to get that money that your family members or your spouse sent you from overseas. Bitcoin, you could literally be on your couch and it's like, hey, honey, I sent you $100, right? In US dollars from my bank to your bank, and you will literally get it instantaneously. That's using Bitcoin. And you're not even knowing that it uses Bitcoin. So there's two different things there's the commodity, then there's the network, right? And if once it gets to a point where Bitcoin reaches a price where the, the volatility is not so crazy and people start actually using Bitcoin to trend, I don't recommend it. I think Bitcoin sucks to spend with. Why would you want to spend in something that's going to go up in value times 10 in four years? It's terrible, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, but people do do it. I've done it in the past. Like I bought a lot of the the. The, the satellite events that I'm going to for the conference, they only sold their tickets in Bitcoin. So I've done it before, but it's just so much easier on a second layer. It's, 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 it's very quick. And the Lightning Network, it's, it doesn't have a problem scaling. Now, what are you sacrificing for something using the Lightning Network? The Lightning Network, you're, you're sacrificing to the centralization aspect of it, right? I mean, it's somewhat but decentralized. the settlement is still, it's somewhat decentralized, but it's not, like Bitcoin. It's not the base layer of Bitcoin. So you're sacrificing security and transactions per second, but the base layer of which you're transacting in is still Bitcoin. If you use a shitcoin, if you use an alternative, the base layer is just as corrupted. <laughs> it doesn't change. So what would you what would you prefer to use? Now, if it's a large transaction, if you're, you know, whatever you want to be, you're buying $50,000 item, right? Does it matter that it takes 10 minutes? doesn't matter, right? It matters if you're going to buy a piece of, if you're buying coffee, right? And you're sitting in the line and you spend, it's $1.50, you know, there's inflation nowadays. So maybe it's $3, $4, right? Then it matters because you can't stay there 10 minutes, right? So there is where the second layer makes sense. Or if you're buying a house, it takes 10 minutes, that's fine. It's not a big deal, right? So again, it depends on the use case. I think I think the Lightning Network needs it still needs tremendous amount of, of of development. There's great Bitcoin companies that are focusing on that. I'm very bullish on that. But again, like anything in engineering, what you're doing is it's a trade off. There is no perfect solution. There's just trade offs to the specific use case that you need the money for. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, we are. Practically out of time, unfortunately. Uh, this has been, yeah, great conversation, man. It's always, it's like, I can think all these things in my head, right? Or I can read them on a page, but it always seems so much more real when someone says them to me. You know, it, it feels like, I don't know, it's it's actually not just like the, the ramblings of some madman on the internet or my brain. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the ramblings of a madman on the internet. Aren't we all? So, <laughs> um, I really want to thank you for your time, man. Uh, do you want to tell people we didn't even mention your fucking podcast really very much, or or your website and and stuff? Do you want to do you want to like tell people a little bit about that just before we finish up? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm just a play, bro. I'm just trying to you know fight the good fight. Uh, I don't think any of us are important, but if you uh, any individual is important, but 
I think, uh, you know, if you, if you want to keep up with me, you want to find out more about me, you could follow me on Twitter at pitvault seven, and, uh, you could check out my daily, almost daily six days a week, YouTube show. It's called simply Bitcoin. Um, we try to, we're not a speculation show. We're not going to tell you where the price goes because I think that's irrelevant. And I think no one knows where the price is going, but you know, we'll, we'll cover what's going on in Bitcoin. You know, we'll, we'll cover the meme culture is a very important part. We also like to make fun of shit coins, not even like to make fun of them. We just like to point out how totally useless they are. Um, so that's, you know, the show it's, it's fun. It's light, it's entertainment. It's not so much a, you know, cause this is a lot of the Bitcoin shows where it's very serious and stuff like that. So it's more lighthearted, but Josh, I really, I really appreciate your invite. This was a great time, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, so I'll put links for all your shit in the description below for people to check it out. And yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.